This is uh, Tyler Smith, and this is another uh, More Than One Lesson mini-sode. This is mini-sode number 11, I think, and we are continuing our series on uh, our 10 favorite movies of all time. Uh, We both went through our our number 10. Mine was uh, The General by Buster Keaton, and Josh's was Wes Anderson's Rushmore. So now we will move on to my number 9, but first I will welcome in my co-host Josh. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Good morning, everyone. Or good evening. That's a little presumptuous. Yeah. Whatever. Good afternoon, good evening, and, and good night. That's what, you know, that's Never what they say that. on the Truman Show. Oh, then. I, I like that show. I like that Truman guy. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah. Maybe not so much. Did You're you right. like that movie? Um, I think I kind of liked it. I think I loved it at the time. But I haven't seen it in a while. I didn't see it when it first came out. I didn't see it until a while afterwards, so I didn't get to see it sort of in its elements. I think I might have liked it more had I seen it then. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's it's still an interesting concept. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it's been long enough that I've seen it that I don't feel like I can say something conclusive about it, yay or nay. Yeah. I think I think once uh, once I unpack my movies, um, I think I'll revisit it. But uh, but that is not the movie we're talking about today. Not at all. Truman Show. I don't even know if that's in my top hundred. Never heard of it. Exact. Right. If something gets bumped to number one hundred one, what, what are you talking about? It's out. I. You know, out of sight, out of mind. It wasn't even like a movie. The movie Out of Sight. That's in the top hundred. So oh, I know all about it. I thought you were going to say Out of Sight is now out of mind. No, that one's always in my mind. No, like Georgia. I guess so. We're getting a little deep with the references here. Yeah. But incidentally, that movie, Ray, no thank you. I did not care for that film. Because mm. he sings that song. That's the Hit reason the road, I don't Jack? like it. Yeah. That's the one. That movie, Jack, with Robin Williams, no thank you. I don't like that one either. Yeah, I don't know why Ray, I don't know why Ray Charles is always singing about that movie. <laughs> uh, Carpe Diem. Okay, so moving on. Sorry, everybody. Uh, I'm feel. It's been a very busy day for me, and I, I took a short nap before this, so I'm feeling kind of silly. And these minisodes, I think, are a little silly in general. So, uh, but we've all got places to be. Everybody, Everyone Josh, and I have to be here recording another episode after this. We got to be there. So we're going to be late if we don't hurry. Ex- right. I mean, yeah. Okay. So. Uh, and I should say, by the way, uh, by the time this goes up, we will have recorded it exactly two weeks before. So who knows? Maybe by March, whatever, uh, a lot of great or terrible things have happened. Maybe. Um, and we have not, and we're not addressing them right now. And people might think that's strange. So uh, I apologize. We are recording this on February 26th. So the uh, day before the event. What? Nothing. Go on. Oh. Go on, human. Tyler. What? Uh, wh- hang on a second. 
I feel like I can't go on. Yeah, I'm going to hold up this like, little pen to you, and it's going to flash in a second. Well, and, uh, I don't uh, see what that... All right, Miniso number 11. All right, Here let's we go. go. All right, that was a fun little skit. Okay. <laughs> Radio drama. <laughs> Theater of the mind. That's what it's all about. I should, I should layer in a little sound effect there. Maybe yeah. I will. That'd be dumb. Okay. <laughs> I say do it. But then again, I'm dumb. I'm you are kind of dumb. <laughs> um, okay. So now that we've wasted four minutes of your time. Four whole minutes. Uh, you could have listened to half of Stairway to Heaven. Or something yeah. like that. I don't remember how long that song. And you probably and it's 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 arguable which one you would have uh, regretted more. I am not a Led Zeppelin fan, as you and I were talking Come on. about. Anyway, okay, moving on. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to like build up to this because people already saw it in the title what it is. So, uh, my ninth favorite movie of all time is John Huston's The Maltese Falcon, uh, which was released in 1941. Now, I'll give a little bit of uh, history. So, many, many years ago, at this point, uh, 16 years ago, maybe even 17, um, 16 going on 17, one could say. Don't care for that song. Fellows will fall in line. Go on. Is that one of the lyrics? Uh, Probably. Oh, okay. Wow. It is. Okay, fair enough. Um, So, yeah, I had just started getting into film. Like in a in a real way, and I, I'm sure I've told the story on here before, but I just right around age 13, uh, maybe even a little bit younger, but probably right around 13, I felt like the movies that were aimed at people my age were just not very good, and so I don't really know where I just you know how I decided decided to start, but I was just like, okay, I'm going to start watching better movies, and so I would just go to the video store and I would just anything that jumped out at me. I just I just watched and in a way I I wish I could return to that time in my life because now I feel like I'm a little bit more a little bit more educated in, even in so far as just if I go to see a movie I usually know more about it it's very sel- it's very rare for me to just walk into a movie or rent a movie and know nothing about it um but back then, that's what I did. I mean, like, Dr. Strangelove had a very interesting cover, and so that's why I saw it. I didn't know that it was a comedy. Uh, it seemed strange to me. Uh, strange love, one could say. Um, and uh, and so, really, like, and of course, I had heard about movies like Citizen Kane and all that, which we'll be talking about in a few months. Um but one that really struck me, I'd heard about Humphrey Bogart. I don't think I had seen any movies with him in it. And then I saw one, and on the cover was Humphrey Bogart holding up this uh, black bird, this statue of a black bird. And it looked, and he's, and he had this kind of melancholy f- expression on his face. He had a cigarette dangling from his lips, and he just had this black statue. And I was like, oh, and it said the Maltese Falcon. I'm like, I bet that's something. That seems interesting to me. And so I read about it. Uh, I read it on the back. I was like, this sounds pretty it sounds pretty good. And so I took it home and it's, you know, it's one of those things where like you're, I won't, I won't go as far as say that my life changed, but so many, so much of my film sensibilities, I think changed after that. And it's so interesting, like when you just casually throw something in, not knowing that it's going to change the way you look at movies and change what you expect from movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that's what Maltese Falcon did that there's, there's a handful of movies like that. And a lot of them are still in my top 10. Uh, but Maltese Falcon has remained a lot of, uh, a lot of my favorite, like, 
uh, film noir has dropped out of my top ten as I've seen other things. Uh, Maltese Falcon hanging in there, hmm. and I'm not really sure. I, I'm not really sure why, aside from that, it's just great. Uh, is it better than Chinatown? I, I don't think so. Um, but Chinatown is out, and Maltese Falcon stays. Hmm. And uh, I think what it comes down to is probably characters, uh, more specifically the number of them. Uh, and the basic story is that uh, you know hundreds of years ago, uh, the you know these uh, knights wanted to honor their king, and so they. I, I don't. I don't have the exact thing memorized. <laughs> I did. I did. I was going to write it down, but I didn't want to spend too much time on that. But anyway, yeah. so they had this big, go- this golden statue encrusted with jewels, and it was of a bird. And so, um, so then that got stolen, and then somebody like painted, like not painted it black, but put a layer of black enamel so that people didn't know what it was, and just got passed around from place to place over hundreds of years. And now there are like these criminals that are after it and it sort of lands not the thing itself but the whole case lands in the lap of this uh private investigator named sam spade played by humphrey bogart and so uh you know he's just doing his his usual thing and uh and then his partner gets killed and he gets involved in this case with uh these colorful characters who've been following this thing for you know 15 20 years and so that's that's the basic story and he has to stay alive, but he also becomes rather intrigued by the Falcon himself mm-hmm. as well, and uh, and also develops feelings for the you know the the woman involved, even though she's and she develops feeling, feelings for him, but at the same time she's not very trustworthy, yeah. and uh, as is kind of the the standard for film noir, yeah. But uh, but anyway, so that's that's the basic story. Um, and I'll say this: the story is pretty complex, as is often the case, also with film noir. Yeah. Um, the story is pretty complex. It's hard to. It's sometimes it's hard to follow. But for me, as long as the characters are interesting and the dialogue's solid, and the, and the you know the actors are, are doing good work, uh, that's usually enough for me. I they, they're sort of our entry point into a virtually impenetrable plot, um, and. And I think that's why the Maltese Falcon has stayed. Is first off, I think it has a, uh, just a really great tone and atmosphere, but also it just has a really great cast mm-hmm. and really colorful, interesting characters. Yeah. So, and I'll talk more about it later. But first, uh, you've seen the film. Mm-hmm. Did you? Did, what I, do you think of I it? I believe it's one I own. Actually, um, this is a, a film that I like a lot. Um, I don't know which. I think it says something you're saying, uh, talking about the other noir films that have kind of come and gone. And uh, for me, I'm not a huge fan of of film noir, although there are several that I like, and that's that's one that I've that I always have liked. And part of it's because of the performances. Part of it, I think, too, is we talked about the plots and how they're usually kind of labyrinthine, I guess. But um, th- this is one where I feel like they keep they keep just enough behind the curtain to keep you wondering what's going to happen. They don't get. It's not you know. Some people approach it maybe like it's a mystery story where you're trying to pick up the clues and figure out what happens, and that's that's not that's not the purpose in movies like this. You're, right. you're just they always keep you a few steps behind the characters, so you're you know you're supposed to be kind of wondering what's going on. And then when it comes to the end, I think all the questions that you had are either answered or you realize weren't important in the first place, mm-hmm. um, which is 
interesting, but keeps you on your toes kind of the whole time. I feel like that's the way something should end, where you have a lot of questions, which is, um, for instance, one of the problems that I had with Lost, the show, which I liked a lot and had a lot of questions come up, but oftentimes there were answers that you got that you were like, well, that doesn't make sense or just confuses me or just raises more questions. I don't know. That wasn't one that had a... I guess that's just an example of where the the questions when answered are not satisfactory. But I think Maltese Falcon is definitely a story where you're wondering a lot of things and uh, it has a satisfying ending. Yeah, and a satisfying ending, satisfying precisely because in many ways it is not satisfying. Yeah. You are provided with information, but you're not provided with closure. And that's yeah. something that I like about film noir is that... It, for, usually, if you are allowed a, def, a definitive ending, it is not one that you are happy about. Yeah. Um, and certainly, the characters are not happy about. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's open-ended. And that, I think, can lend to some of the uh, the general nihilism of noir, is this idea of, like, everything's just going to keep going. Uh, the characters' lives, their pursuits they're just going to keep going they haven't learned anything and that to me is one of the fascinating things about the Maltese Falcon is that mm-hmm. these characters you know they, like I said they've been pursuing it not not the not the detective character but all these other characters they've been pursuing it for you know decades yeah and, and I, then, you know spoilers they wound up not getting what they wanted and they just keep going yeah and that uh, that is one of my favorite parts of the film when you see that ending and uh, something in the way that that climax happens you really get this great sense of how long they've been searching for this and how much this means to them and kind of what it means to be so focused on this and have this be such a central thing to their lives even um and again i guess we're kind of going into spoiler territory so if you're wanting to see this and haven't maybe maybe you should stop listening yeah but um the way uh, the Mary Astor's character, character Bridget O'Shaughnessy, the way you kind of believe that, you know, like with Femme Fatales, you, you believe for a little bit that she's into Sam, but like once they get to the end and they've got the statue there, the, her, the way her attention goes to that, you're like, this this is what it is. Like, this is yeah. why she's here. Everything else is fake. Yeah. And she has kind of said that throughout. Not, I mean, she said that in reference to every man before him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and it's possibly it's possible she actually believes that he's different. Mm-hmm. You know, she's yeah, she's kind make of herself so, believe that for some. Yeah, she's kind of sociopathic. Oh, yeah. Um, and actually, a that, lot of those characters are. Yeah, and that makes me th- that reminds me too that I think maybe one of the things that I like about that that moment in that part of the movie is um, because these are all characters that are so often trying to present some kind of facade or. Uh, you know, trick each other. They're never, they're never truthful. They all have this moment of truth where they, where you can see the true emotion on their faces and you can see the true disappointment and you can like, you can see what they really want and what they're really after when for the rest of the movie, they've been trying to cover that up. And I'll tell you one thing that I, okay. I think we've talked about on the show before that, that, I mean, certainly characters, you know, character is something that I respond to. And one of the things that I like about certain movies is the the idea that the characters will continue after the movie is over. Yeah. Um, now, with Maltese Falcon, it's not so much that as you believe that these characters existed before the movie started. Yeah. And they have a history. That, mm-hmm. to me, is one of the most... Something that I've come to appreciate over the years is 
all these characters, like they've all been, they're all after this thing, sometimes together, sometimes in teams, sometimes individually, but they're all after it. Mm. And then they all wind up in San Francisco. They probably haven't seen each other in a long time. And you just see the, the expression on each other on, on their faces when they see like, oh, <laughs> this person's here. That's great. You know, mm. and they'll make these little like jokes or these little they'll give these make reference to something without ever going into a lot of detail about it. And and they never explain it, but they don't have to. You see the history there. Yeah. And there is a great deal of chemistry be uh, between the cast um which i think is something that people have tried kind of artificially to do in movies since then and probably before as well but i feel like it's a it's a common movie trope to have two characters who were who meant to believe have a history make some kind of like passing reference to something that happened to them that's clearly just a screenwriter trying to trying to force that connection like yeah. well this is better than the time we got in that car wreck and you lost your arm <laughs> yeah, it's yes. always something like yeah. no no two people who have a history sit down next to each other and like remember that time when and explain the entire story as if say there were an audience of people watching yeah it's as opposed to an instance where uh where the character of joel cairo played by peter laurie and bridget o'shaughnessy played by mary astor these two do not care for each other and uh a and somebody has been following them and uh and uh, Bridget says, "Like I'm sure you can slip by him, like you did the last, uh, like you did the guy in Istanbul." And there's a little knowing thing there because there's an implication that's much more clear in the book. But there's an implication that uh, Joel Cairo is gay. Um, and then Joel Cairo's like, "Oh, you mean the one you couldn't get to?" And she slaps him before he finishes. <laughs> but it's just like, "Oh, I got it." <laughs> like, and they didn't even have to finish it. Yeah, you know, they, like. <laughs> If if they were really concerned about us, the audience, they would have fi- they would have let him finish. But she knows what he's going to say, and she's not going to let him finish. <laughs> right. it. And that's, and that's that's more important. If I might get a little uh, film schooly about it, uh, I took a class about film noir screenwriting, and it was a great class. I love I loved uh, I love that class. And one of the things that we learned um, about structure, and I ta- I talked about it now that like in some movies you want to believe that the characters will continue, whereas with film noir. The future is likely not going to happen. Either the character's going to die, they're going to go to prison, or really, who cares? Like, <laughs> their life is not... Their life is go- it could continue, but not in a way that, that is good. What is infinitely more important is the past. And so to believe these characters have relationships, there's a movie called Out of the Past that is, that is like that. Um, and, uh, and Chinatown has a lot of that as well. You know, yeah. Jake Giddy's talking about... You know, I mean, the movie's called Chinatown, and the last five minutes takes place in Chinatown, yeah. but he used to work in Chinatown. Yeah. And it's the, it's this terrible place, <laughs> and you don't totally know why, and he never really expresses it, but you see it on his face. And so to have these characters, like, they just bring all this weight to them, and I will use that as a fun, uh, a fun segue into maybe my favorite character of the film, uh, known as the Fat Man. But he's also known as Casper uh, Gutman. I like Gutman. that the fat man, his name is Gutman. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and he, the structure of the film, which basically mirror is an exact uh, match of the uh, structure of the book, which we'll talk about in a moment. But um, they do such a good job of just introducing characters bit by bit. You know, you see Sam, you see his 
his uh, partner, and then Bridget O'Shaughnessy shows up, and you're not really sure what that means, and then Joel Cairo shows up, and then and and with each one, it's like each each character is more slimy and and untrustworthy than the last, and then you just see the way these characters respond to the fat man. He hasn't shown up yet. They merely make reference to him. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, oh, this, is, this isn't good. And you just see fear on their faces. Mm-hmm. And then when he shows up, it's Sidney Greenstreet, the happiest, nicest man in the world, <laughs> but a man who's willing to do anything. And to me, he's one of the best villains precisely because he is so polite. Yeah. Um, Sidney Greenstreet, I believe it was his first... Uh, on-screen role he was in his 60s and he was nominated for an oscar for it um and it's just he's just a man of will and he's just and that's it's one of those things like it's that idea of it reminds me of a line from the the oliver stone film nixon where uh nixon is being uh, pressured by some of his uh con- you know campaign contributors who want him to do a certain thing and he doesn't feel like he wants to do it and so they they uh start making threats and then he he kind of threatens them back and they're like is that a threat and he goes no presidents don't make threats you know why because they don't have to and and it's that idea it's the assumption of power it's like why why seem threatening when i just am and that's what i like about gutman is that he can be polite he can be totally polite because he doesn't have to prove himself he walks into the room and everybody's scared and the way the the way the camera shoots is an interesting mm-hmm. it always shoots him like when he's sitting it shoots him at an upward angle he always looks imposing yeah he fills the frame not merely because he's a big guy but also just the nature of him like he he fills this story just as he fills the frame and so um so that's so there's just all these characters and of course joel cairo is played by peter laurie one of my favorite actors of all time um and i will now use the opportunity to do my peter laurie impression because uh because um there's there's a lot of laugh lines from joel cairo that are not necessarily laugh lines mm-hmm. but the way peter laurie plays them like oh, yeah. I, I read a biography of of him and he always tried to find the comedy where he could and so there's stuff like uh now admittedly like as time has gone on you look back and you realize that a lot of the jokes come from the the idea that this guy is gay and so like when sam spade punches him and he gets and joel cairo gets blood on his shirt but he's also unconscious and he wakes up and the first thing he does is look down and goes (laughs) look what you did to my shirt (laughs) and just like like that kind of thing and just and then uh and and just the way and he he had these really expressive eyes you know and just and seemed so earnest but uh and so like um he hires Sam Spade to, you know, get this Falcon and, and, and he's like, he goes, so you want me to do this, uh, legally if possible? He's like, oh, uh, it, and I won't do the impression now, but he's like, he's like, uh, if possible, but in any case with discretion and just like, <laughs> it's just such a well-worded, his, all the lines are just so well-worded and brilliant, but that's, that's Dashiell Hammett. And yeah, it was a strong choice by John Houston to pretty much just adapt the book in a straightforward way. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, and it and the book is worth reading. I'm a big fan of Dashiell Hammett as a writer, um, and uh, I'm not sure. I don't think Maltese Falcon is my favorite book of his. That is probably Red Harvest, although the Glass Key is pretty great too. So, um, but yeah, uh, now, Josh, what do you what do you have to say about the film? Like, from the philosophical and thematic aspect of noir, 
which is to say kind of nihilistic kind of there's a hopeless quality to it um like how do you think this like fits in with that and a lot of it can be traced to to sam spade and his reaction to things yeah um i mean i think it fits into that to that mold of of what film noir is but uh I don't know. I feel like it takes a lighter tone than some of the other other noir does, almost because of um, Sam Spade's kind of distance from it. Like he he never seems to take anything that seriously. He's kind of got that scoundrel quality that you mm-hmm. see in a lot of a lot of good film characters, like like a Han Solo maybe. Yeah. Um, and in contrast to say a Han Solo, where he's won over by the the passion of of other characters. Sam Spade is he's kind of right in in thinking none of this really matters and he was he was more right even than he knew when it turns out that the the bird is a fake um so it turns out to be a fake right it's not yes. like yeah okay yeah. it's fake it's um, phony it's lead it's lead <laughs> it's a phony <laughs> um so yeah so that's interesting and and I don't know. I, I don't know how much the author, whether it be um, the book author or the script author, that uh, I, I I wonder what what their attitude is about about the bad characters in it, about the people who are after the bird, because they're um, they're seeking after something which turns out to be nothing mm-hmm. and i don't know if the implication should be that like really it's just nothing either way or that you know is it meant to seem like the sort of thing where people strive for something and then it's hopeless um i don't know because i feel like it could go it could go several ways whereas a lot of noirs end up kind of definitively it was all for naught yeah um you know, like like a double indemnity or kind of out of the past. Out of the past maybe is the most cynical one, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't know. This one stands apart from them a little bit in that way. Yeah, because it's ambiguous. Because it's this idea of... And it's, and it's actually brought up between Sam Spade and Bridget O'Shaughnessy at the end where she... He he has decided, and at this point we're just going full spoilers. So and because you and you warned people earlier, but like at this point, like it's a, it is determined that she is the one that killed Sam Spade's partner, mm. um, and so he's going to actually turn her in for that, uh, and that means she could go to jail for life or die, <laughs> and so um, and that's a choice he's making, and then she's you know. So they have this di- this this conversation about this, and she's like, you know, would you be doing this if the Falcon turned out to be real? Um, and and then he just says, like, well, d- you know, don't think I'm as crooked as as I make myself out to be, you know. <laughs> but it's also, but it does bring up, a, you know, it does bring that question up, like, you know, like it's easy to look for people to blame and it's easy to embrace justice when things don't work out for you. Mm. But when things do work out for you, it's like, Oh, maybe, uh, you know what? Hey, to each his own, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) And so it brings and that, that is kind of a, kind of a, uh, rather cynical attitude as well. And the fact that it doesn't come down on either side, um, because it, because you, you, the viewer, so you so want it to be real. Um, and then when it isn't, 
it, it just seems so it's so disappointing but you wonder it was it ever going to be worth it yeah um because like at that point okay so the characters they have this thing now great now what what are they going to be rich now right. like are they going to sell it and be rich of course not mm. they want it that's it yeah. and 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 by getting it all they have is it and that's it but that's and and so it really is i mean it's the ultimate macguffin it's like i'd say between between rosebud the one ring and the maltese falcon i feel like it's it's a it's kind of a horse race between you know those three mm-hmm. of which one is the ultimate movie macguffin <laughs> but uh and the ark of the covenant's pretty pretty far up there too mm-hmm. but um Although that turns out to be uh, pretty active uh, <laughs> at the end there, but uh, but yeah, and so um, so yeah, just that's something that I find fascinating is that it actually it does not it does not provide you with clear answers, and that makes that can make you a little bit uncomfortable because you ask yourself that question like, how would I respond to these characters and their behavior if it turned out to be real? Would I condone it because this thing is clearly worth millions of dollars in 1941? Absolutely, it was worth it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's uh, there's just so much that I that I respond to about the movie, uh, both as a as a film noir, but also as just a movie in general with wonderful, incredibly memorable characters, wonderful dialogue, great performances. And if you haven't seen it, by the way, it's, it's all been spoiled. <laughs> but uh, if you haven't seen it, now you don't need to. Right, because that's what it's all about. Right. Um, I watch movies so that I know what happens in the movie. Absolutely. If any, if man, if I could find a, like a book that would just tell me everything yeah. that happens in movies, I'd save so much time. Yeah, that's the whole reason I watch Tree of Life. Yeah. What happens in it? That's what yeah. I want to know. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah. Um, and you know what? And here's the thing with these with these minisodes, like. I could probably go on a very long time about Maltese Falcon and talk about individual elements. And I can talk about like just the tragedy of the Sam Spade character and just how lonely he is and how Mm -hmm. desperate he is. Yeah. Like, you know, there's, there's the possibility that he loves Bridget O'Shaughnessy. And when I was younger, I was like, how is that possible? He's known her for a few days. (laughs) Um, but it's like, well, he's clearly so lonely that like he wants to give his heart out to people and he's actually much more idealistic than it would first appear. Um, and that's something that I find fascinating about him, and that's something that's worth discussing. But uh, more than anything, I just wanted to give you guys kind of a taste for the film, so that hopefully, if you haven't seen it, you you will want to go out and 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 watch it. Um, and yes, we've we have spoiled it, but I've seen the film many many times, and after the first time, I knew what happened. But that's not what that's never what film noir is about. Yeah, it's not about twists. It's not about outcomes. It is to a certain extent, but like. It's about the journey, the emotional journey, and certainly the thematic journey, and often the visual journey as well. But uh, anyway, so, okay. So that was The Maltese Falcon. That was my ninth movie, uh, my ninth favorite movie of all time. Uh, We will next time talk about Josh's ninth favorite movie of all time, which we will not reveal here. It'll be a surprise. You'll just have to tune in in two weeks. Man, you're you're just going to keep checking... You're going to check the updates over and over again? Like, I have to know what it is. Well, it's going to be in two weeks. Two weeks from today. Yeah, I know. So just check on a Tuesday, Every right? day. They'll be checking every day. Because they'll uh, be like, maybe it'll be up today. And it won't be. <laughs> yeah, that's... They would ignore what I'm saying. They think right. I'm tricking them. Yeah. They're really embracing this Maltese Falcon thing, and they yeah. think I'm just lying. I think you're tricking me. 
maybe I'll release it on a Monday. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, okay. Uh, so thank you everybody for listening. Uh, Josh, thanks for uh, taking part in the conversation. Well, you're welcome. All right. And I'll get you next time. Bye. Mm-hmm.